Well, folks, in our race preview episode, we said that the Singapore GP would be just lights, carnage and action, much like a blockbuster movie. But in actuality, it just turns out that the race was more like a behind-the-scenes view of what a movie actually looks like when you're making it. Lots of fun, interesting phases, lots of chaos, but in the middle of it all, there's just no momentum whatsoever. But was it fun? Was it good? And what do we think of that late race penalty that came Sergio Perez's way that luckily has actually not ended up costing him the win. All of that and more is going to be discussed on this race review episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. So welcome along, folks. And I've got to introduce myself and all of my other co-hosts at this stage. Firstly, myself, Samuel Arora. I've hosted The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And then we've got F1 Stats Guru Sundaram joining us. Not quite feeling 100%, but great here to see you here, F1 Stats Guru. And we loved having you on on the live watch along that we had yesterday as well. I think I can say yesterday because it's, it's the Monday after the race, right? And also, Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, currently working at the Viaplay Network, who are also are one of Formula One's biggest broadcasters. And he is an FIA-accredited Formula One journalist. So that's, that's all about us. I now want to talk a lot about the race because the one weirdest thing that we got to see yesterday, guys, was... Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, and yes, Yuki Tsunoda all making a driver error in one day. I mean, what are the odds, guys? It's as unlikely as a team like Manchester United scoring three goals against Man City. Oh, wait, that, that actually happened as well, didn't it, Sundaram? Yeah, that actually did happen. And I find it very interesting that you've you've punched up Yuki Tsunoda with the likes of Lewis Hamilton and, and Max Verstappen, but you've forgotten the likes of Nicholas Latifi, who also um, made a mistake uh, or two, uh, but it's it's very odd seeing that so many drivers did not have a clean race, and the ones that did manage to keep the car on track were the ones that benefited. Uh, you know, you don't tend, you don't tend to see Lewis Hamilton making two mistakes in the same race, and that's that's what happened yesterday as well. So a very unlikely scenario, a very um, I would say a very different sort of race than what we expected initially because it was a bit of a slow burner, like I mentioned yesterday at first, and then it got really exciting towards the end. So quite different from what we expected overall. How would you rate it, Kunal? Because really, this is unorthodox. This is the anti-Singapore race. And I think it's two and a half minutes into the episode and we haven't quite spoken about how good Sergio Perez was, which is also somewhat contrary to the tone that we've got so far on the podcast this year. Samuel, you always do this to me. You put me in the spot just the way Formula One puts the FIA in the spot. Uh, Heavens put FIA in the spot. You asked me to rate the race and I frankly don't have a rating just yet. Well, I could say maybe 7 on 10, maybe 8 on 10. That could be that could be my rating, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way, right? Uh, then at the end of the day, uh, before we question drivers and their errors, before we question uh, everything else that sort of happened or didn't happen between the teams, what was the FIA doing at the start of the race? Yes, we had a one-hour delay uh, and so on. But let's remember, the F1 teams have been provided with something called as the the wet compound tires, which is supposed to be used when it's actually raining when it's a lot more wet. We don't need to wait till it's semi-wet so the drivers can use inters and then go on to the mediums and so on. I mean, uh, imagine if it was wet and then it ne- we needed the inters and then finally the slicks. And that would have been pretty epic. All three 
tire compounds uh, being used through through different stages of the race and i wish that somebody reminded somebody reminded the fia of the the wet compound being there i mean we could probably do a segment in the mid season uh, or in the off season uh just to ask the question what do the wet compound tires actually be used for i mean uh is it something that uh, we just see uh, pirelli being ready for but formula 1 not use, using is it something that i think yeah they they use it for pit stop practices right uh, in in um, uh, on the thursday friday when the official sessions are not happening and so on so first things first you know the fia what exactly were they doing i know there will be a diplomatic answer coming i know there will be an explanation to justify exactly why the decision was a valid and the right decision but hey i would have just loved to see them go racing but probably just to understand uh, that kunal how does the fia come to this decision of how, when when to start the race i think there is obviously some input from the safety car driver bern melander who who goes out on the track and he probably provides his suggestion on on how the track condition is isn't isn't that so because i think the drivers had an opposing uh, opinion that they should have probably started much earlier so what the fia does is yes it's burn maylander that eventually goes he keeps doing those laps and that's the time we get to see some action on the circuit right but they also rely on the official radar right and there is a radar forecast as to what's going to happen and in the next hour to come and so on and the official radar at the point when they said that formation lap is going to be 2105 local time the official radar actually backed that up so the FIA just decided to stick to the radar readings which you know normally are very accurate as well uh and uh, that's how they made the decision and it's just so that i wish that the decision was to start the race maybe 20 or 30 minutes earlier but i mean let's put it this way the rate we may rate the race a little differently 7 on 10 8 on 10 the you know there were boring parts of the race so on but every driver needs to be commended for actually finishing the race keeping it uh you know between the barriers making sure that yes you make mistakes but at parts of the circuit when you could make a mistake and get away with it because those conditions were treacherous 23 corners 2 hours of racing etc etc all of that but ev- eventually that's just how the fi makes a decision since that's what your question was sundaram yeah i think at the end of the day essentially what they did must have been a little more frustrating for all of us because at the end i think we started and ended the race with a But with an overall broadcast time of around three and a half hours, that is a long, long time to actually sit down and watch a Formula One race for. Of course, the first hour we didn't quite get any Formula One action going, but still, at the end, the, the good part is we got two hours of racing. And if you are to trust everyone at the track, apparently it was too dangerous I mean, to do it. Actually, the, the water was pretty stagnant. But hey, I suppose we can discuss it till the cars come home, right? It's it's really hard to really put a judgment call when we are sitting where we are. And it's actually hope that the FIA made the right call because at the end of the day. it it really did get pretty frustrating but on the whole though i think it really did not do much to kind of sap off the momentum because there were so many other things that really got the race absolutely like kind of like an american football match in a way where you have one big moment and then it stops but what i love the most about this race guys is now the singapore gp circuit the marina bay has the latifi uh, sign of approval the seal of approval right that's what we call it i mean he just had to christen it wrong time unfortunately had he just waited for 30 odd laps i think it would have been a little bit better before wait a minute before we actually move on 
to Latifi and every other driver out there. There are still more uh, discussions around the FIA that need to be had. They got involved this weekend with Lewis Hamilton's nose ring, right? Very interesting. Lewis Hamilton did what a lot of people have done in their lives, which is come up with a doctor's note. I don't know what the doctor's note would have said, but that (laughs) doctor's note probably said Lewis needs to keep the ring for whatever reason. And that was probably the exemption that he needed. Now, it so happened that, of course, Lewis forgot to tell Mercedes of the, the, the letter. And Mercedes claimed that Lewis removed the ring when he hadn't. And that whole documentation, scrutineering form error that happened, which cost them, you know, 25,000 euros, uh, right? So that was one thing. Then the whole financial regulations breach that happened. There were lots of rumors, Red Bull Racing, the guys who originally made Red Bull, and then Aston Martin, the guys who made the green Red Bull, the copy of the Red Bull Racing car, uh, basically just coming out to prove that if you want to design a quick car like Red Bull Racing, whether it's the original or the replica, it's actually going to cost you a lot more money than what's in the budget cap, right? But that's on a lighter note. The serious part here is the the breach that actually happened at the end of the FIA because the 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 documentation that the teams actually are undergoing for you know or rather they filed in march 2021 are confidential how on earth did it come out that these uh, you know these that red bull was under breach or aston martin was under breach apparently it seems that ferrari and mercedes knew even how much they were under breach so again you know uh, for 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 the fia who is slowly trying to build or rebuild trust after the fiasco in Abu Dhabi last year. Not good signs if there are moles, there are leakages that are happening uh, within within the whole uh, FIA system. So I'm still stuck onto the FIA. And then finally, of course, we had the post-race penalty for Checo Perez. Lots of people asking, why is it not uh, black and white in terms of either he was uh, within 10 car lengths or not? And why did we have to wait two hours post-race then there are people who've pulled out, and I know it's becoming a monologue now, but there are people who've pulled out data from 2010 when uh, Sebastian Vettel had received a penalty. And then there are people who pulled out data from a couple of race, couple of seasons ago where there was a time penalty. So lots of differences in the time uh, you know, between 2010 and 2022 of how FI is also looking at this penalty. So I, I don't know why the FI just ends up being involved, but just goes to show that their job is not an easy job. And this is probably why when a youngster wants to grow up, you want to become a driver or a mechanic or an engineer, but you'll never find somebody who'll say, hey, I want to become an FI race steward. That would be the kind of kid who would actually want to be the referee in any football match growing up or, or something quite like that. That would be the, the outlier in a way. But no, generally it was tricky all the way through. But after... After a long time, actually, the FI revealed that the infringement for Sergio Perez was actually a double infringement in a way. The first time he got over there, he got a reprimand for that. The second time he got to the safety car, that is where that is why he actually got the penalty in the first place. But crazy how at the end of the race, he was able to create such a big buffer that he was just not pressurized by Leclerc at all. I mean, any other scenario, any other driver in there, it would have been it would have been hard to imagine them being so nonchalant about it and just end up pulling an, an even bigger gap in what we actually need. But Sergio Perez at the end, Sundaram, that that stint, I don't know if it was just Ferrari with their tyres being absolutely cooked or just Sergio Perez magic. I suppose nobody can ever tell that, right? It's all very variable in this case. But whatever it was, 
that was just an outstanding piece of driving. And even with the penalty buffer, he's won by 2.9 seconds, which is, I think, I think bigger than what the gap was for the most part of the race between the two of them. Yeah, so a very interesting point is that going into this this race, Sergio Perez was not even a dark horse. We had spoken about every single possibility of rain and who could end up winning. Lewis Hamilton, uh, Charles Leclerc, Verstappen, and probably even a couple of midfielders like Alonso or uh, Lando Norris being up there on the podium. But no one really mentioned Sergio Perez until he put his car in, into on, onto the front row uh, during qualifying. And it was... Like we discussed yesterday, it was a very gritty drive and he didn't let the ball drop at any point of time. And obviously, he's been a very good, uh, when it, he's been exceptionally good when it comes to preserving his tyres. So, it's either of two cases and we do know that Ferrari have been suffering with tyre degradation after the technical directive. So, it's either a point of Ferrari having too much of grain that they didn't have enough pace or Sergio Perez was that good and... Uh, when Red Bull told him that he has to be on the pace and increase that gap to Leclerc, his tyres did have the pace and he was able to extract that. But overall, even uh, he was he was chosen as a driver of the day, which was a very befitting sort of a way of ending uh, the race yesterday. And actually, I'll add to that. So, Charles Leclerc revealed a couple of things which sort of answer questions that you guys have asked. First is, Ferrari did not have the pace. They were struggling with their fronts, which is something that's been evident since the new plank regulations came into force from uh, from Spa. The second is, uh, in the initial period, uh, uh, you know, when we saw Leclerc actually close in on Perez, it was Perez who made a couple of mistakes and hence Leclerc could get in closer. But once uh, Checo sort of got back into rhythm. His tires got back into temperature. If you remember, he said, "I have issues in drivability, under braking, whatever." Uh, he was able to pull out a gap because the Red Bull actually ended up coming back into the zone while Ferrari struggled with tire wear, and that's why Checo Perez could actually build that sort of gap that he did towards the end of the race. And to me, it was a fantastic drive. I actually didn't rule him out because I know in the preview, right till the very end, I forgot to mention Checo Perez. And I said, watch out for him because he's a street circuit specialist in that Red Bull. He, of course, saved his tires uh, till the very end. We've we've known that since his debut season as well. And he outqualified Max Verstappen in Monaco, in Singapore. Of course, caveats here in Monaco, Checo Perez spun and hence Max couldn't finish his uh, uh, his final lap in Q3. In Singapore, Max, of course, had those refueling issues uh, which Red Bull underfueled him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's the that's also why Perez won. But that's this is how this is why Perez is there in Red Bull. Red Bull want him to pick up a win if Max wished Tampen can't, and he's done that. And you know he's there till 2024, but. You know, a couple of races not going right for him and suddenly everybody likes to write him off. So these kind of drives will only build further confidence for Checo, for Red Bull. I mean, they they, they are always being criticized for being very, very critical with their drivers. But, you know, when you when a driver comes up with performances like these, there is literally nothing left to criticize. So all in all, a fantastic race for Checo and Red Bull Racing. And that's nice to see because Checo has shown in situations where his back is up against the wall and, like you mentioned, people have written him off. And he ends up producing a a magical performance when no one really expects him to do that. I mean, uh, going into the race, I had mentioned that the driver starting second had never won the race at all in, in Singapore. And that's exactly what happened. Absolutely demolishing my stat this weekend. 
Yep, exactly. But he's also ended up setting a new record of sorts because, as you just found out, Sundaram, Sergio Perez just led from the first corner of the race till the very end. And he's the 58th F1 driver in history and the fifth Red Bull driver to actually do so. First time he's ever done that, actually, start to finish leading all the way through. So crazy how the race went out for him. But it just makes me so frustrated about what happened to Ferrari because uh, we had so many viewers on our live stream on PTM Insider so curious about what happened to Ferrari at the very end. And I think, Kunal, you summed it out a little bit a little bit too early, right? About Ferrari not having the pace since the new regulations have come on. But do you have any more detail about why, what really happened in there? Because at so many stages, we were all just trying to pull our hair out. Like, oh my God, Leclerc, why can you just not get past? Why can you just not get closer? Now, I'll admit, there was only one dry line for the majority of the race. So maybe passing on the outside was definitely going to be trickier. But at the very end, it was just... the usual frustration, you could put it that way, if that even makes any sense. Before we switch to Ferrari, again, I'm going to read out a couple of stats that our dear F1 stats guru has given. Two of my favorite stats, okay. Red Bull Racing has now won 13 out of the 17 Grand Prix this season, which is equaling their best tally of victories in a season ever, which, of course, uh, they first said in 2013. And the second one, which is more interesting, is that this is... Uh, the first time since 2018 that both Red Bull drivers have actually bagged multiple wins in the same season, right? But coming to Ferrari, could Ferrari have won? Could Mercedes have won? Two questions that I think uh, I will try and answer in the same segment is, it was eventually about starting on pole and leading the first lap. And that's what Uh, Lewis Hamilton said when he said when he was asked if he could have won and Charles Leclerc said when he was asked you know if he could have won Charles of course started on pole but he had a he had a lot of wheel spin and that's where Checo got the jump on him right so that's where the race went away from uh, Ferrari I would say just at the start you know especially with such treacherous conditions it was about bringing the car home as well and not just going for a very heroic or a valiant attempt into getting the lead of the race. And of course, it's Singapore, it's a street race, all those factors also come into play. Which also, you know, makes me ask the question, just how close was Mercedes to a race win? I mean, Lewis Hamilton was 0.054, you know, away from pole position. He had a small lockup into turn 16 in qualifying. Otherwise, Mercedes reckons that he could have had pole. Now, imagine if he would have started from the front row or from pole position. Maybe he could have, you know, sort of won the race. So, for once, we actually had three teams in the fight for win. It just so happened that it was Singapore and we didn't really get to see them fight apart from, say, the dying stages of the race. By the time, uh, you know, lots of drivers had already made their mistakes and were out of position and, and so on. So, it's tough to say which was actually the quicker car because it was conditions dependent. It was dependent on what tires they actually were on and and so on and so forth. And Lewis, for example, turned around and said, had I uh, wanted a switch in tires, I would have definitely wanted the soft tire, which we know he also asked for uh, when... uh, when you know Mercedes gave George Russell uh, the soft tire as well, so just you know different choices, different things. But I think it was all three teams in in for a fight for for the win. It just happened that track position, which is ever so vital in street races, actually was so vital. And that actually kind of became the undoing of this race at the very end from an entertainment perspective. If you kind of ask me as well, because 
we, we could have seen more. Of course, it's fun to see a few crashes here and there, a few incidents here and there. But it's like watching any sport. And, and, and if you know that the race or the match or whatsoever is done within the first 20 minutes, like, is that even sense to watch anymore? Obviously, that didn't quite be the case with Singapore GP. But with so many retirements, kind of takes away from the entertainment action. And at the end of the day, of course, it's great to see Sergio Perez ended up winning. But what, what was really surprising for everyone was just how rocky Max Verstappen's weekend was all the way through. I mean, in qualifying, right, that is a rare, rare error that Red Bull Racing made. And Steve Slater on the live race watch-along just had to say that, of course, sometimes a team like Red Bull tries to push the limits by, by trying to be really creative at stuff like this. But it ends, up, it ends up sometimes tipping over and falling on the wrong side of it, which is exactly what happened. But I suppose Verstappen's entire weekend was just kind of an entire summary of the Singapore GP weekend, Sundaram. It is just very chaotic, not for the better many times, but ultimately pretty pleasing. I mean, you can't be disappointing, disappointed with it at the end. Uh, I think it wasn't the best of race weekends for him. And it also goes to show that no matter how many races he wins, he's won, he had won five on the trot. At some point of time, they do tend to falter very rarely, especially uh, drivers like Verstappen or Hamilton. They do tend to falter uh, rarely. But what I do think in qualifying as well, maybe Max Verstappen also made a little mistake on his behalf uh, on, I think on the penultimate uh, push lap that he did, he he did have two purple sectors, and I think he had a slight moment in into sector three. So that also is probably a reason why on the final lap he didn't have any fuel left, uh, and that's that whole momentum has carried on in, into the race as well. He 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 did make a mistake with with Norris, and he had he also had had, had an issue uh, during the race start when his car went into anti stall, and that's what dropped him back to P twelve. So. It was a race for him to forget, uh, but all focus for him would definitely lie uh, in, in Japan. And the only thing that he has to do in Japan is win and take the fastest lap of the race to win the championship. Yeah, and you know, talking of Max Verstappen, he of course was extremely upset with the, the operational error that Red Bull had. Now imagine if he was actually racing for Ferrari, he would have probably been really pissed because of all the operational errors made. But uh, just goes to show, you know, he was saying, I need to have perfect race weekends, even if I'm winning the championship or not. And that's just incidental if a championship win or a race win comes his way. And that's true. And I think it was just messy all the way for Max from free practices itself. He had interrupted runnings on pole, or rather in qualifying, the penultimate lap that you're talking of, Sundaram, he didn't want to abort. It was Red Bull who told it told him to abort so that's also what he was annoyed with Red Bull about saying you asked me to abort the lap and you asked me to go again and then you of course forgot to tell me that I would run out of fuel and you know etc so it was really just a something that you know we are not used to seeing Red Bull do such such you know operational errors and um, an operational error I believe also uh, moving on from Max Verstappen to George Russell a really uh, trying trying race for him had lots of issues with the brake Overall, he just drove a very, you know, he was he was like Valtteri Bottas in Mercedes when nothing was going his way. He was driving a Mercedes, but somewhere languishing in the midfield or the back of it. And I'm surprised that the FIA did not penalize Russell for his incident with Mick Schumacher because it, it was clear. I mean, you see the replays. To me, it was clear that, you know, Russell just came in on Mick and Mick was holding his line. And anyway, what happened? And unfortunately, Mick lost out on a point scoring position, especially... 
when he was defending as though his life depends on the race, because that's the joke that George Russell cracked, right? And Haas believes that Mick could have been P5 or P6 in the race, because that's just how well he was running. And Unfortunately, it just gets chaotic and even more chaotic the lower down you go in the order. So that was that. The other chaos was, of course, our friend Mr. Gotifi, who, you know, who triggered that chaos. And uh, we all saw what happened. And just, you know, Latifi walked out saying, I couldn't see him in the mirrors. I couldn't see him in the mirrors. But Joe Guan Yu made a very interesting point. He said that there is, he, of course, hinted that there is something called as racing instinct when you are in battle. So even if you don't see someone in your blind spot, you at least know you're battling someone and that there could be somebody in your blind spot. So you automatically learn to leave some room. But that's exactly what Latifi didn't do. And for all our listeners in Canada, I know you might hate me for saying this, but I am so glad that this is Latifi's last season in Formula One not assuming that he'll crop up in Alpine racing for them next year, but just saying that that lack of racing instinct is something that really bothered me as well. Yes. And I mean, I mean, I don't want to beat down, beat up, I mean, beat down Latifi any further, but the fact that I've observed is that when Leclerc usually ends up making a mistake, he's always so self-critical and he always owns up to it saying that I'm stupid or I've I've made a mistake over here. But I've almost never seen Nicholas Latifi going out and saying saying that, yeah, that was my mistake. I couldn't see him. The car just spun. The battery was just there. So it's a bit odd what we what we just saw. And probably he should have known that there might have been a car behind or he should have left enough space for the car behind. Yeah, he's a proper typical racing driver. Of course he won't make he, of course he won't call himself as the real reason why the errors are happening. Obviously, right? Racing drivers. But uh, I want to talk about another really crazy thing that happened in the race. It was just chaos in the midfield between Alpine, McLaren, and somewhere lower down, Aston Martin. And if you kind of think of it this way, McLaren 4th and 5th and Alpine DNFing, it's just like the British economy undergoing tax cuts and then witnessing a rising pound and a rising GDP. It's just like stuff of dreams. They, they couldn't really ask for more in this case. But I, I really want to talk about Fernando Alonso for a second, Kunal, because I. I'm so... It's symbolic, isn't it? Because Alonso, a ceremonial race, 350th, he said, let's make it memorable. And it just turned out that Escar wanted to make it the memorable top part of his career. Just just the McLaren years, the second stint, not, not the first one. Just a really memorable part. And the car was like, okay, let's give Fernando tribute. Let's go back to 2017 mode. And suddenly it stopped. But all things considered, this is just like a huge boost to McLaren, who certainly are uh, back in the fight after being behind trailing for such a long time. McLaren executed a fantastic race strategy, but of course they had more luck play in. But that's what happens, you know, in races such as Singapore, where, you know, if you keep the race uh, alive for long enough, street circuits can actually deliver fun races as well. They really lucked out under the last safety car, especially, say, in the case of Daniel Ricciardo and then, uh, you know, Lando Norris. So they, they've sort of uh, lucked out there. Also, even more with a double retirement for Alpine, their first double retirement of 2022. And, you know, Fernando Alonso's turned around and said, I have lost 60 points to retirements in 2022. If I just do a quick math and I add 60 points, he will, of course, be seventh ahead of Lando Norris, 20 points ahead of Lando Norris. Uh, Fernando is 59 points. I'm just rounding it off to 60 uh, for plain speak. 
and he would actually be just 50 points of Lewis Hamilton has had he actually got those 60 points. But that's just how it is with Fernando Alonso. And unfortunate that, you know, Alpine and Williams had a double retirement, uh, you know, in Singapore. And then finally, since, you know, we are, we are speaking of uh, Aston Martin, I think Fernando Alonso, what a fantastic start. He actually said, I decided not, I decided to be aggressive at the start. And he actually overtook five cars on the opening lap around the Singapore Grand Prix uh, uh, Marina Bay Street Circuit, you know. And then uh, Lance Stroll, you know, he's only finished in 10th place uh, at, at every race. He's finished or he's at five, as Sundaram points out, in five races. But suddenly he realized that, hey, I, I have the pace. And they managed to finish, uh, I think he was sixth, which which by itself is also pretty fantastic. So well done to him. One of the rare times that our Canadian uh, listeners would notice that I'm praising Lance Stroll for, for a good race. Indeed, yeah. And he was genuinely good. They, they got the opportunity and they capitalized on it quite well. But I, I just have to think about the, the word that he said about Fernando Alonso, that he would have had 50 more points. That's actually 13 more points than his new team will have. I mean, new team currently has. They're on 37. Alonso would have had 50 more points. It's the best career decision. I, didn't, I know. It's something to talk about for some time later. But we've got so much more coming in all the way through over this weekend as well. The FIA will have their statement on the financial regulation breach, Kunal. And the FIA just currently have said, essentially, it, without mincing my words, like, shut up, let us do our thing. That's what they've basically gone out there and announced. But I, I, I'm very keen on seeing how this actually pans out because at the end of the day, as you mentioned at the start of the episode, it is genuinely intriguing how some teams apparently know the exact figures of how much, if Red Bull Racing actually breached the cost cap, and the FIA currently seem to have, well, classified information about that. So if this could happen, do you kind of expect the championship to swing back in Lewis Hamilton's favour, the older one? Or do you think they'll go for the more diplomatic approach to it? Firstly, these are all unsubstantiated rumours that have been started by certain people in the paddock. I'm not going to name them. You guys know them. It's not that I'm holding secrets. So let's wait for what actually comes out on Wednesday. Secondly, let's remember... If Red Bull are so operationally strong in every aspect of Formula One, I don't think on the financial aspect they would play around. Could there be a loophole? Well, depends who you ask. Maybe or maybe not. But the teams have been given two years to sort all their questions out. So it could be uh, that, you know, there is nothing that uh, the FI actually finds. And it's just a procedural case where, uh, you know, there has been this leak that, hey, there is a procedural delay in Red Bull Racing. And, and uh, hence, let's just stir it up that they are winning uh, by spending more money than what's permitted, right? Of course, policing the budget cap and the financial regulations is also tough because it's only in the March next year that you get to see what the teams actually did in the previous season. So the questions are, are you penalized for the previous year, the current year or the year to come? Something that Toto Wolf has alluded to saying any gain in any year can be felt over three seasons and so on. So lots of things to sort of keep in mind, lots of things to look forward to. You have to remember, Red Bull is not going to be the first team in breach of these regulations. Williams already had a breach. It was a filing breach. They were delayed with their filing and they paid a $25,000 fine. So if something happens, uh, we'll see what the level of breach is. And, you know, the funny thing, I studied engineering. And right now, engineers are the currency the teams are trading when it comes to talking financial breaches. Uh, Lauren Makis of Ferrari, the racing director, turned around and said, 
you know, we could hire 70 engineers at $100,000 each uh, if we wanted to have the overspend, which, by the way, all teams have agreed upon. There is a 5% overspend that is calculated in, right? Ferrari turned around and said, sorry, Mercedes turned around and said, we had to make the positions of 40 engineers redundant so that we could meet the budget cap. And then guess what Christian Horner said? We actually had to make 90 engineers redundant so that we could make the budget cap. So suddenly engineers are the currencies that are being traded. How many engineers have you made redundant today is the question that teams will eventually be asked at some point, I guess. But let's just wait till Wednesday. It's a tough job. It's a procedural job. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that the FI will find a way to uh, explain their actions just the way I'm still waiting for them to explain how they calculate a 10 car distance, uh, a 10 car gap between the leader and the safety car and hence every other car on the grid. I still don't know. I'm waiting to know. I'm hoping that there's a tech solution and not just based on television visuals. Since you mentioned about Williams copping a $25,000 fine, I, it, it just made me think about and I'm, I'm quite intrigued at, intrigued at how the FIA dishes out penalties to different teams. So Williams gets a 25,000 penalty for filing their, uh, their, I mean, their, their financial report a bit late. Verstappen places a finger on Hamilton's car and he gets a 50,000 euro uh, fine. And um, how much was the fine yesterday? Yeah, so it's 25,000 euros for uh, incorrectly reporting that Lewis Hamilton did not have any jewellery on. And then if you speed in the pit lane, you just get a 100 euro fine i think quite a few drivers did that this week and it's just 100 euros just just ask the swiss governing body to kind of help out the fi a little bit with the fine <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe they just decided on the basis of okay yeah we're kind of short on our expenses how much should we put okay yeah we need 100 euros let's actually go for 100 <laughs> oh, no, today we're actually short of more let's go for fifty thousand today but ridiculous how Things like that happen, but ridiculous also how this weekend played out eventually. And it is amazing to see Sergio Perez get his second win of the season and believe it or not, his fourth win of his Formula One career. And I find it amazing that when drivers get less wins, we kind of value them a little bit more. Max might have a gajillion by this stage, but for Sergio Perez's fourth, it feels extra special. But will it be the fifth next time out in Japan? That is what we're going to discuss on the preview episode on the Inside Line F1 podcast. So we're going to have all of our regular coverage over there. And don't forget to leave a good rating if you like this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on our social media for latest updates. And trust me, there will be a really fun one coming rather soon. So stay tuned for that. See you, folks. Have a good time. Bye-bye.